Would you turn with me to John chapter 10, please? John chapter 10. And I'll warn you in advance, today is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be introducing John chapter 10 and 11, which is really a a magnificent portrait of Christ and his power and his position and his potency. Just superb chapters in this uh, gospel. We'll see one of the great sermons of Christ of all time. We'll see some audacious, bold claims made by Christ. We'll see the ultimate miracle-working power of Christ as he raises the dead. But there is a sub-theme in John 10 and 11, and that sub-theme is the voice of Christ. In fact, we sang this morning, I heard the voice of Jesus say, I just want to show you this. Look with me at John chapter 10, verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Same thing in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Skip down to verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Skip all the way to chapter 11, verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. That is the voice of Christ. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so in John 10 and 11, we very much have this sub-theme of the voice of Christ. This is our Savior speaking. And so we want to understand, who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? And because of this, Satan has tried very, very hard and with a lot of success to mimic, to copy, to deceive by giving us a different voice, to deceive the masses into thinking they're actually hearing the voice of Christ when in fact they're not. And John 10 and 11 actually provides a a wonderful opportunity for us to argue against false voices claiming to be Christ's and for the actual voice of Christ to defend that his is the only actual voice of Christ as found in Scripture. Now, I normally don't do messages aimed hard at challenges or concerns in the Christian community. We would never get to the text of Scripture and we would turn into paranoid, negative little Christians who have less concern for the gospel and less concern for the lost. But on the other hand, there is a responsibility of the church's shepherds, not only to instruct in the truth, but to refute error, to teach against that which is wrong. That is called polemical preaching, where we say this is what is wrong and we need to defend against it. Titus 1.9 says that one of the qualifications of an elder, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. As much as I want to be the happy preacher all the time, there are times when we have to frown and say there is something wrong with this and to point it out. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter asserts that the only source of divine truth is the scripture. It is the Bible. There is no other. There is no other source. 
2 Peter 2 verse 1, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. The very next verse, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, meaning they do it for money. The book of Jude calls these false teachers, quote, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars. As you get closer to the end of the Bible, especially in Second Peter and in Jude, the warnings about false teachers just crescendo making sure that we are certain to know that we are to be careful. And by way of simply looking at book sales, the greatest error today which is attempting to mislead the church is the huge bestseller by Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. That is at the top of the list. This is a 365-day devotional book. It was first published in 2004, and it's had multiple reprintings. It's based on years of her own journal writing in which she claims that she heard directly from Jesus as she personally dictated messages, uh, or he personally dictated messages to her and now to us. And you might say, well, that's, uh, it's an original idea. No, it wasn't, actually. It's not an original idea with her. She originally got the idea from a book written in the 1930s when the charismatic movement was really gaining traction, this was a book called God Calling. She even stole the title. God Calling was written by two missionary women who would practice waiting in God's presence, and when they felt some sort of tingle, they would write down what they thought Jesus was saying, they thought God was saying, and then they published it. By the way, in the original introduction to Jesus Calling, Sarah Young tells that story. But when it was found... In the Encyclopedia of New Age Beliefs by Christian publisher Harvest House, describing God calling as, quote, a channeled New Age book that was spiritually dictated by a deceptive spirit pretending to be the real Jesus, suddenly the reference to God calling in subsequent printings of Jesus calling disappeared. It's gone. Jesus calling has sold approaching the neighborhood of 20 million copies since that time. It's made it one of the best sellers in the history of Christian books. In 2012, she published a second devotional guide, Jesus Today, which won the 2013 Christian Book of the Year Award. In 2016, she published a third devotional guide, Jesus Always. And the clincher here, the reason these are so popular, is she writes the books in first person, I, me, mine, from the standpoint of Jesus actually talking to you. You can buy the hardcover version. You can buy the bonded leather version. You can buy the morning and evening version. You can also buy Jesus Calling 365 Devotions for Kids. Now, Jesus Calling was first published in 2004. So you might say, wow, Steve, you kind of missed it by a decade on this one. And this is, this is old news. Well, the fact is, is that these books are more popular than ever. And before Jesus Calling came along, there were other phenomena in the evangelical world. How many of you read The Purpose Driven Life? Don't be ashamed. I read. Take another poll. How many of you read Bruce Wilkinson's The Prayer of Jabez? Raise your hand. How many of you bought the paraphernalia and the, uh, the, the bumper stickers and, and all kinds of things? Don't raise your hand on that one because that would be terrible. The fact is, is that the world of, and I use the word, very uh, loosely, the world of Christian publishing has always had its false teachers. And 
while I normally wouldn't worry about a book that's almost 15 years old, the fact is it's selling more today than it has in any other year. It's just going like crazy. What do all these types of books have in common? What they have in common is that they have Christian-like elements to them, but they really miss the actual gospel, and they have a great potential and impact of misleading the church into thinking they found the next great secret, the next great spiritual easy button, so to speak. And until Christ returns, Satan will be trying to fool the church. That's why the book of Second Peter, the book of Jude, the book of Revelation warns against false teachers. False teachers, watch out, watch out, watch out. And the dangers of this sort of sappy, sentimental Christian publication, these are very real dangers. That Jesus and the Bible exist primarily to give you advice on daily living. That takes us away from the gospel. And this is advice on how to feel God as opposed to actually giving a pathway to knowing God. And this is exactly how Satan misleads believers into taking their eyes off the real voice of Jesus Christ in his word and even worse, misleading unbelievers into mistaking spiritual emotion for actual salvation. I spent the last couple of weeks saturated in Jesus calling and Jesus always and it makes you feel good. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy. And then you kind of feel like you feel dirty. It's awful. And I'm going to explain why. Now, I'm very aware that some of you may own these books. You may be hiding one under your Bible right now, even as we speak. Like, how am I going to sneak this thing out of here? I'll slide it under the chair. The next person, will, they'll think they had it. And, and you, may have, you may have cherished these books. You may have had emotionally uplifting moments, and I don't doubt it because there's a lot of truth in them. There's a lot of truth in them. Now, this isn't a time to try to make you feel badly about this because the, the one who gets deceived is not responsible as much as the one who does the deceiving. This isn't a time to feel badly, but just to be reminded to be discerning as to the spiritual food we eat. We have been warned and warned and warned, watch out for false teachers, watch out for false teaching. And I'm extremely concerned that we not be fooled by this false brand of Christianity. And more importantly, I'm responsible to make sure you don't get fooled by it. And so this morning, I just want to give you some opening thoughts so that you can guard your heart against spiritual error disguised in a very cleverly attractive uh, package and so what we're going to do this morning is very different. Normally we're going verse by verse through a text, but I need to set up why John 10 and 11 are so important for us, are so refreshing for us. And so I'm just going to give you a few lists. That's all we're going to do today. Three of them. The first list is why I feel compelled to make sure you don't fall for the Jesus calling type of deception. We'll just call that the why, why we're doing this. The second list we might call just the who, who should be held responsible for this sort of deception? Who should we place the blame with? And then the third list is, we'll spend the most of our time on this, how Jesus' calling and books like it are spiritually dangerous. I want you to understand how they are dangerous. Now, I'm going to warn you, this isn't my normal thing that I like to do. This is going to be a little bit like holding your, water, holding your breath under water for a while, and then we will come up and we'll breathe some air, but I, and we'll briefly introduce John 10 and 11, the actual voice of Christ, the real Jesus calling. But for a while, we need to understand the negative so that we can appreciate the positive. 
And if you've been here for any length of time, you know this isn't what we normally do, but we want to do this as we're called upon to do so. List number one. Why I feel compelled to make sure you don't fall for the Jesus calling type of deception. I genuinely care for each person who chooses to worship here with us at Grace, and I I care that you're not deceived. I care that you don't get fooled. I, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people when as they learn the doctrines of grace and as they learn some of the errors, maybe in the charismatic movement and so forth that they've been a part of, how, how destructive it is to their own souls, how disappointing it is to know that they've been following a path that was deceptive for sometimes decades. And that's, that's crushing, that's devastating. And so if we can help you avoid some of that, that will be useful to us. So there's three things on this list why I feel compelled to make sure you don't fall for this type of deception. The first one is very simple. I want you to be readers and to think about what you read. I want you to be readers and think about what you read. I've said this before. Growing believers are reading believers. We read. You should, as much as you're able, you should have a book going all the time. You should have something that you're learning just as you should be listening to sermons. Let me tell you what a good Christian book is. A good Christian book is basically a written sermon. It's a written exposition of the word of God. That's how you know a a book is worthy of reading. So I want you to be readers and think about what you read. There's a second reason I feel compelled to make sure you don't fall for this deception. As readers, I want you to be discerning. As readers, I want you to be discerning. This is a a massive genre of so-called Christian literature, the feel-good devotional literature, which isn't actually based on the study of Scripture. It just takes little Bible verses and pastes them on to make it look Christian-y, so to speak. Now, I know that out of curiosity, some of you will go out and want to buy Jesus Calling and, and, and Jesus Always, but I would urge you not to do that. 2 John 10 and 11 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So read with discernment. Something, by the way, that the Jesus of Jesus Calling rarely, if ever, talks about. And here's a third reason that I feel compelled to share this with you. I don't want you to be responsible for misleading others. I don't want you to be responsible for misleading others. You might read a book which uplifted your soul, made you feel good, and you give it as a Christmas gift to others or recommend it, and now you've become responsible for misleading somebody on behalf of a, of a faulty author. These sorts of sappy, sentimental books which claim divine authority, they're... They're like the food at McDonald's. It looks like food and it tastes like food, but there's no actual food content in it. It masquerades really well and it makes you feel strangely full. I get sick to my stomach even with the ice at McDonald's. I mean, how do you add something to ice? But apparently they figured out how to do it. If you read Jesus Calling, it feels good. It even has a nice padded cover and it's nice and heavy it feels like a a warm comforting book it's filled with scripture quotes with close scriptural paraphrases it's filled with scripture references all generally referring to the fact that uh, scripture is all about me but scripture is there and it will make you feel good but like the food at mcdonald's instead of being actual food it is slow poison for your soul because it's truth mixed with error which i'll show you in a moment One author writes of the book, Jesus Always. 
He writes this, for example, let's say someone gives you a copy of Jesus always as a gift. You never open it. You just stick it on your bookshelf. Then some friends come visiting and one of them notices Jesus always on your bookshelf. They don't say anything, but they assume that since you're a good Christian and you have a copy of Jesus always, it must be a good devotional. So they buy a copy for themselves and make it their daily devotional. You are responsible for harming that person. So I don't want you to be in that category. Let me give you a second list. List number two, who should be held responsible for this sort of deception? Who should be held responsible for this sort of deception? I want to give you six parts to this list. I think at the very top of the list has to be the shepherds of the church. The shepherds of the church, the pastors, the men who occupy the pulpits of our churches. These are the men who have such a low view of Scripture because they readily allow Sarah Young to speak for them. Pastors such as Max Lucado, no surprise there, Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. Jack Graham, and countless others that you would say these are pretty solid guys. From their pulpits and in official endorsements, they give legitimacy to this self-proclaimed right to speak for Jesus. Who gave Sarah Young the right to speak for Christ? Who gave her that right? The best-selling author, Lee Strobel, who wrote the outstanding book, The Case for Christ, I was so disappointed to see his name on the list of endorsements for Jesus Calling and Jesus Always. And he writes this, Jesus Calling helps Scripture come alive and helps the Word of God go deep into your heart. No, that's what preaching is supposed to do. To explain God's Word, not to claim to give God's Word. And there is a significant difference. So we blame the shepherds of the church. We should be elevating preaching We should be elevating the word of God. The best way to hear from God is what we do at first. We just read the scriptures. The second best way to hear from God is to hear somebody explain the scriptures. The worst way to supposedly hear from God is to have some woman who sat under a palm tree somewhere getting gooey impressions and writing them down and then publishing them for millions of dollars. That's not how you hear from God. We blame the shepherds. We would also hold responsible Sarah Young's use of celebrity endorsements. And there's a reason for me pointing this out. Her use of celebrity endorsements. Jesus Calling has been endorsed by Reba McIntyre, Dolly Parton, Kathy Lee Gifford, Roma Downey, Charlie Daniels, Ainsley Earhart, Jeff Hostetler, Jason Crabb, Gretchen Carlson, and the list goes on and on. It's been endorsed by CEOs, who are mostly women, by the way, countless pastors from every denomination, Uh, Catholic women's organizations, Jesuit priests, singers, songwriters, authors, business consultants, tons of Christian musicians, professional martial artists, psychotherapists, golfers, quarterbacks, financial planners, and professional models. Now, let me point out something to you. When the whole world agrees on something about Jesus, when people from different faiths and clearly who do not represent the church of Jesus Christ, when they all agree, then what on earth did Jesus mean when he said in John 7, 7, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. If the whole world loves the Jesus of Jesus calling, then the Jesus of Jesus calling is not Jesus. You understand that? He's a made-up, false, feminized version with some scripture references tagged on to legitimize him. The Jesus of Jesus' calling is the golden calf. It is the golden calf. 
The Jesus of Jesus' calling is not a him, it is an it. Here's a third, third point, third place that we place blame. We would give responsibility to the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement has successfully normalized extra-biblical revelation. They've made that normal. In a Charisma magazine article entitled, How to Exercise the Spiritual Gift of Prophecy, the author defines, quote, coming along in your walk with the Lord as an increase in hearing audible voices from God. That that's what it means to come along in your walk with the Lord. And he describes how how he knows that he's supposed to give a prophetic word to someone. And he says he feels, quote, the stirring in my stomach. I wait to see if the stirring in my stomach continues because I want to be absolutely sure it is God directing me. And he gives this instruction. When you receive a prophecy, pray about it and allow the Holy Spirit to help you discern whether to receive or reject it. Now, my question is, if it's a prophecy from God, why would I ever reject it? And if you're receiving something that might not be from God, how am I supposed to have confidence that something else is from God? The fact is, the gift of prophecy, as it operated in the early church, before we had a completed Bible, that gift has ceased. And whatever charismatics think is happening today, it bears no resemblance whatsoever to that era. Do you think that the Apostle Paul wrote the inspired text of Romans and then waited to see if his stomach told him whether it was from God or not? I don't think so. But the charismatic movement has not only normalized extra-biblical prophecy, they've given it celebrity status so that all anyone has to do is say that they've heard from God and they can start going on a tour of charismatic churches and earn tons of money. Now, Sarah Young in the Forward to Jesus Always, she writes this, quote, As in all my devotional writing, Jesus Always is written from the perspective of Jesus speaking to you, the reader. Don't be fooled by this. Because I revere the Bible, I always endeavor to make my writing consistent with biblical truth. This is patently false. I don't doubt that that's her intention, but her order is all messed up. First, she supposedly hears the voice of Jesus, then writes these things down. Second, she checks it against Scripture. What is she doing? She's testing the Bible with her experience, and that is patently wrong. We test our experience with the Bible. And if it doesn't match up, then our experience is wrong. The role of the shepherd and she is unqualified scripturally on multiple levels. The role of the shepherd is to explain the scriptures, to give a voice to that which has already been revealed, not to reveal new information. Who else is responsible? Number four, obviously, Sarah Young herself. She's responsible for playing the part of a false prophet. This is someone who claims to speak for God and yet does so with falsehood. Now, when she wrote uh, Jesus Calling, I have no doubt that Sarah experienced what she calls the presence. I have no doubt she experienced that. But this presence told her that she was being trained to be a channel of his truth, that she was receiving directives and messages from God. And again, in later editions, all those references are removed. Why? Because they're patently new age. Sarah Young's Jesus says things that sound eerily new age. They sound like spiritists. Do these statements sound like anything Jesus ever said in scripture? 
quote, Approach this day with awareness of who is boss. Let me control your mind. My main work is to clear out debris and clutter, making room for my spirit to take full possession. Apparently, Jesus doesn't know his own pneumatology. Sit quietly in my presence, letting my thoughts reprogram your thinking. While you relax in my presence, I am molding your mind and cleansing your heart. In other words, emptying your heart. Your relationship with me is meant to be vibrant and challenging as I invade more and more areas of your life. That's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of demonic possession. All this shows is that the Jesus of Jesus calling doesn't know his own theology. Jesus always is even slicker than Jesus calling, but still presents New Age philosophical principles wrapped up in a Christian package, principles like having experience validate truth, a focus on my feelings instead of propositional truth from Scripture, contemplative prayer where you're trying to empty yourself to hear from God instead of filling yourself with the Word of God, which then causes prayer. And Sarah repeatedly encourages the use of mantras or short repeated prayers over and over again to make yourself feel something. And she speaks frequently of practicing feeling the presence of God. We're not told to do that in Scripture. We're told to come into His presence. How do we do that? Through prayer and through the Word, but not to practice feeling something. The Christian rap song by Shai Lin called False Teachers, and I love this title because the S's in the title are dollar signs. He says this, And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. It's not just blatant falsehood. It's falsehood mixed with truth. We would have a fifth entity to blame, and we would blame Christian book publishers. Christian book publishers. Thomas Nelson, which has published many outstanding volumes, has gone to great lengths to continue selling their biggest moneymaker of all time. They will do anything. They have multiple, countless revisions of blatantly unbiblical statements, and they they keep changing certain parts which continue to be exposed as heretical. They do so with no apology, with no explanation. It just comes out with a a new revision. And then finally, we would blame Christian book distributors. Christian book distributors, we blame them for making a profit from false prophets. Or not being discerning about what they sell because they're trying to reach the widest audience which has fallen for sensationalism. Listen, never think that the major Christian book distributors are here for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of the church. They are here to make a buck. And never forget that. Do you know that almost every company that makes, uh, that makes Vacation Bible School materials, you can buy the Reformed version, you can buy the pseudo-evangelical version, you can buy the Catholic version, and they change the theology based on the audience who's buying the product. I would never want to be a Christian book distributor and stand before God. Well, let me give you one more list. Now that I'm warmed up. (laughs) List number three, how Jesus' calling and books like it are spiritually dangerous. How they're dangerous. And I have eight items on this list. First reason it's dangerous, it's tapped into a false brand of Christianity. It's tapped into a false brand of Christianity. The unbeliever thinks they're on the road to heaven because this book makes them feel good. 
The believer is spiritually stopped in his growth because now Sarah Young has become the source of spiritual nourishment. This is the road very well paved by Joel Osteen, Max Lucado, Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Schuller, and many, many others. This is a well-paved road. It's a golden road which leads all the way to the bank. This is faith based on sentimentalism rather than truth, based on how Bible verses and church experiences make me feel as opposed to eating the truths of Scripture and digesting the truths of Scripture and the the gospel and the glories and the excellencies of God. Listen, we have brothers and sisters with whom we would vigorously disagree about the, the future of Israel and even how we interpret Scripture on certain end times issues, and we can have lively discussions on those things. But on the issue of sentimental Christianity, we would stand locked arm in arm with them, believing that Scripture alone is the sole source of revealed truth of God. You know what? One phrase I guarantee you Sarah Young has never even thought about sola scriptura. Scripture alone. There's a second way this is spiritually dangerous it fools professing Christians into basing decisions on hearing God's voice. It fools professing Christians into basing decisions on hearing God's voice. The idea that we hear something or have some sort of impression upon which we then make major life choices, this has been normalized by both the charismatic movement and by the pseudo-Christian gospel-less literature that's so massively popular in evangelical circles now. We do have a basis for making life decisions. We have clear commands of Scripture. We have the wisdom literature of Scripture to help us think properly. We understand from Scripture the roles of men and women, the roles of church members, how we're to act in our marriages, how we're to act in our families, how we're to act in the world. Jesus is not lacking in clarity. If you're saved, be baptized, be my disciple, follow me. If you're saved, join the church. These are not unclear in Scripture. When young people come to me and say, I'm having trouble discerning God's will for my life, I say, give me five minutes, I'll tell you what it is. Do you have a job? Yeah. Well, good. God's will is for you to work really hard and be the best that you can be, according to Colossians. Uh, Are you married? Yeah. Well, God's will for you is to be the best spouse you can be. Are you in the church? No. Well, God's will for you is to repent of that sin and join the local church. Discerning God's will is right here in Scripture. I'm constantly amazed that those who continue trying to hear the voice of God to guide their lives, they don't ever hear things like this. God saying, you're a lousy wife. You need to start submitting to your husband. Read your Bible more. Stop looking at women who aren't your wife. You're supposed to marry this unattractive, mediocre, ho-hum man and like it. I'm amazed whenever somebody gets a word from God to marry somebody, it's always somebody good looking every time. Or God saying, give 90% of your savings to the church building fund. Now, if you think God is telling you that, do it, and then we'll talk the theology of it later. (laughs) Listen, if Sarah Young was really hearing from Christ, why didn't he say, why are you writing things I never said? That would tell me that she heard from Christ. Here's a third way this is spiritually dangerous. It has undermined the gospel. She has undermined the gospel. Jesus' calling is written in such a way that a true Christian, regenerate and in the faith, can read it and be fooled by how good it makes you feel, 
or it can be read by a fake church-attending Christian, whether you're a Mormon, you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're a Catholic, doesn't matter. As long as you sort of think that Jesus is a great guy, then Jesus' calling will give you feel-good emotional charges. She writes this, and this is supposedly Jesus speaking. My peace is the treasure of treasures. I purchased this peace for you with my blood. You receive this gift by trusting in me in the midst of life's storms. Now, that sounds so wonderful, but let's pull that apart. The death of Christ was to purchase an emotional sense of peacefulness, which you can have if you will learn to trust him when life is hard. That's works-based salvation and has nothing to do with sin. That is a false gospel. In fact, her own testimony of salvation is so creepy, it's almost weird to read it out loud from the pulpit. But I want you to understand, this reads like a New Age occultic experience. This is not an experience of regeneration. While she was at a Christian retreat center in a little Alpine village in France, she left her house that she was staying in to go for a walk. And I quote, this is her salvation testimony. One night I found myself leaving the warmth of our cozy chalet to walk alone in the snowy mountains. I went into a deeply wooded area feeling vulnerable and awed by cold moonlit beauty. The air was crisp and dry, piercing to inhale. Suddenly I felt as if a warm mist enveloped me. I became aware of a lovely presence and my involuntary response was to whisper, Sweet Jesus, This utterance was totally uncharacteristic of me, and I was shocked to hear myself speaking so tenderly to Jesus. And as I pondered this brief communication, I realized it was the response of a converted heart. At that moment, I knew I belonged to him. This was far more than the intellectual answers for which I'd been searching. So salvation is a warm mist on a cold night and emotionally deciding that that's the moment of conversion. Martin Luther would have choked on his bratwurst if he heard that. By the way, Jesus' calling has a huge Catholic following. Why? Because you can read it and not be convicted by the gospel. There's a fourth way this is spiritually dangerous. This has undermined a high view of Scripture. Has undermined a high view of Scripture. The clearly stated purpose of Jesus' calling is to go beyond what Scripture says to a deeper relationship with Christ by listening for impressions and even audible voices. Here's Sarah from her introduction. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day, since all revelation really is about me, apparently. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. And so 20 million people are supposed to take her word for it. Now, Sarah Young herself, she says that her books are not revelation on the level of Scripture. From the original introduction to Jesus Calling, she says, My journaling had changed from monologue to dialogue. Soon, messages began to flow more freely, and I bought a special notebook to record these words. I knew these writings were not inspired as Scripture is, but they were helping me grow closer to God. I have continued to receive personal messages from God as I meditate on Him. Okay, put that off to one side. She says again, the Bible, of course, is the only inerrant word of God. I have written from Jesus' point of view. The first person singular, I, me, mine, always refers to Christ. So the perspective is that of Jesus speaking to you. So which one is it? 
Is the Bible the only inspired word of God or is Jesus speaking to you through the pen of Sarah Young? Which one? You must logically pick. She even says, quote, I want to share some of the messages I have received. So apparently God gives inspired messages, which is our Bible, and then just sort of semi-inspired messages. I don't think we have a semi-inspired God. This is very, very different than expounding a text of Scripture and explaining it. Instead, what Sarah Young does is to give a page on what Jesus supposedly said, and then she puts a few Scripture references at the bottom to justify it, in which, ironically, taking them out of context at least half the time. The danger here is that she starts with what she supposedly heard Jesus say by listening quietly to to his voice, and then she tries to find Scripture to back it up. Now, I know some among you might still be questioning this, and you might say, well, this is just the gift of prophecy still in operation. That is not anything like what the gift of prophecy in the New Testament times was like. It wasn't anything like that. And by the way, since this is marketed to people who don't read the Bible, she can make wildly inaccurate statements which no one will check. For example, she writes, and this is from Jesus, I am with you always. These were the last words I spoke before ascending into heaven. And then she cites Matthew 28, 20. Well, the problem with that is that's not factually accurate. Jesus reiterated the great commission to spread the gospel to the world. Then he ascended into heaven. By the way, that particular page in her book has been changed extensively in subsequent editions since the Jesus of Jesus' calling apparently can't remember the last thing he said on earth. I wish Sarah Young would write one more book and give it away for free, The Sufficiency of Scripture and the New Age Heresy I Used to Write. That's what she ought to do. If she is a Christian, she will do that. There's a fifth way this is spiritually dangerous, and this one just really, it kind of gets under my skin. This is clearly marketed to deceive Christian women. This is clearly marketed to deceive Christian women. It teaches Christian women to forego actually studying Scripture and instead jump right to sentimental emotional gratification. It teaches women that the most spiritually gratifying thing they can do is to read or to listen to these supposed direct words from Christ. And now, because of Sarah Young, the preached Word of God, which is only about the words of God, seem lackluster, seems ho-hum compared to these juicy, emotionally gratifying tidbits of feel-good motivators seemingly from Jesus himself. Why would I listen to a 50-minute sermon and try to digest and try to understand and go back and study for myself when I can read in one minute exactly what Jesus wants me to know today? And now the faithful pastor who's trying to exposit the word of God, who's on his knees and who has been crying out to God to understand the meaning of the text so that he can bring it to his people is in competition with this stupid little book that women are secretly hiding in their purses because they get emotional gratification from it. Sarah Young has done what Paul told the women of the church not to do in 1 Timothy 2. She has usurped the authority of the leadership of the local church. Now, that's not to say that Christian women cannot write excellent, outstanding books, but there's a big difference between supplementing the woman's faith and replacing the correct source of spiritual truth, which is the preached word of God. That is horrible. Here's another way this is spiritually dangerous, and now we're getting to the crux of 
changing our view of God, changing our view of Christ. Sixth, it creates a picture of a feminine Jesus Christ. Creates a picture of a feminine Jesus Christ. He says, supposedly, softly I announce my presence. Shimmering hues of radiance tap gently at your consciousness, seeking entrance. He also says, let my love enfold you in the radiance of my glory. First of all, what do those things even mean? I can't discern that. I'm fairly smart. And second, when Jesus comes with all of his angels and crushes the powers of the world, is he saying, softly, I announce my presence? I don't think so. It presents the entire purpose of Jesus as being the one who gives warm hugs and words of assurance and comfort. He's in no way presented as a savior from sin. He is in no way presented as a king, except perhaps that he's the king over your problems today. And he's certainly not presented as the judge and the executioner of all who will not believe in him. There's no page in Jesus' calling where you can read, if you have not repented of your sin, if you have not come to faith in me, if you have not humbly bent your knee to the cross of Jesus Christ, I will, I will absolutely execute you. I will send you to the deepest recesses of hell. You cannot find that page. Presents Jesus as existing for your sake. Do you realize that? This so-called romanticized Jesus of Jesus' calling would make a great mommy that falls far short of the glory of the Son of God, but it gets even worse. There's a seventh way this is spiritually dangerous concerning our view of God. It creates a picture of Jesus who desperately, romantically needs you. It pictures a Jesus who desperately, romantically needs you. These are some quotes from Jesus always and from Jesus calling. When you trustingly whisper my name, my aching ears are soothed. That Jesus was aching, that he was hurt in his heart until you fixed it. He says, when you walk through a day in trusting dependence on me, my aching heart is soothed. Again, there's the aching heart. And she loves this word. I am aching to hold you in my everlasting arms, to enfold you in my love. In other words, my life would be complete if only you would come to me. She says, supposedly from Christ, when you seek my face in response to my love call, both of us are blessed. As you listen to birds calling to one another, hear also my love call to you. Feel your face tingle as you bask in my love light. Look into my face and feel the warmth of my love light shining upon you. When your joy in me meets my joy in you, there are fireworks of heavenly ecstasy. Those sound like love letters. Those don't sound like the words of the King of kings and Lord of lords who will crush his enemies under his feet. Well, there's one more way that this is spiritually dangerous. It creates the impression that super Christians have something you don't have. And that one gets under my skin as well. It creates the impression that super Christians have something that you don't have. Wow. I mean, Jesus has been talking to Sarah Young for years. I've never even heard him say anything. And either you can vicariously start to hear from Jesus by reading Sarah Young's books, or you can start trying to hear from Jesus yourself. You can leave your, your Bible off to one side and go buy that special leather-bound notebook and get a pen and sit under an elm tree and begin to hear from Jesus. 
and you're off to the races to total deception. This has created a culture of the Christians who are the have Christians and the Christians who are the have not Christians. Oh, I'd give anything to hear the voice of Christ. But my Bible says if I will open it, I can. I can. You have full access to God through the word of God, through prayer, through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, through fellowship of the saints. You have it all. In fact, Ephesians 1 says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There aren't those on this side of the aisle that are hearing the voice of Christ and then you pathetic creatures over here, I'm so sorry. You need to be over here with these super Christians. No, we are all blessed in Christ. The moment you were saved, you had everything you ever needed. Everything. Oh, but Sarah Young wants to give you more. Okay, we've been holding our breath underwater for a while. Let's come up. This is why John 10 and 11 provides such refreshment and clarity regarding the actual voice of Christ. I just want to give you a preview of what we're going to be doing in the, in the coming weeks. We're going to see, first of all, the voice of the only way. The voice of the only way that those that Jesus would save do hear the voice of the only one who can save them, that when in the quietness of your unsaved, wretched soul, the voice of God called to you, every single elect person hears that call and responds in salvation. Second, we're going to hear the voice of the good shepherd. The good shepherd has promised to never leave you. His commitment to his sheep is so great that he even laid down his life for them. Third, we're going to hear the voice of a mighty defender that those who belong to Christ will never perish. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. We're going to hear the voice of a miracle worker. He, he proclaims that his miracles, his works, prove that he is sent from God. We're going to hear the voice of a glorified son. Unlike Jesus' calling, which promises that Jesus will also always rescue you from your trials, Jesus brings trials so that he can be glorified through your life. We're going to hear the voice of promised resurrection. Jesus promises resurrection not only to Lazarus in just a few minutes, but to everyone who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to hear the voice of outraged grief. We see the grief of Jesus, not so much over the death of Lazarus in chapter 11, but more broadly over the horrible consequences of sin. And we'll see the outrage of Christ over the unbelief and the hopelessness of his own people when all they had to do was listen to his voice, was believe on him. We'll hear the voice of divine authority, that not only did Jesus announce his intention to let Lazarus die and then raise him from the dead, but when the time came to rescue his friend from death, he did something only God can do. He called the dead to life. The same God who breathed life into a lump of clay and named him Adam called life into a four-day dead corpse of Lazarus. And finally, we're going to hear the voice of a substitute sacrifice. The voice of a substitute sacrifice, not knowing that he was being manipulated and, and used by God, the evil high priest Caiaphas, who deeply wanted to murder Jesus, he gave a prophecy that Jesus would die for his nation. And in the mind of Caiaphas, Jesus would have to die to politically save Israel from causing problems with Rome. But John's gospel will correct this thinking by reminding us to know that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God who would indeed die for the sins of his people. That is the real Jesus calling. 
And might I say this, the real Jesus is calling. And here's what he says. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1.15, he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said in Matthew 24, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. He said in Revelation 1, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And Jesus, through the Apostle John, says in the fourth to last verse of our Bible, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him or her the plagues described in this book. Well, over the next number of weeks, you can be assured that you will hear the actual voice of Christ because our source is not some New Age philosopher dressed up in Christian clothing, Christian words and phrases. Our source is the very word of Christ itself. And he said things and he made them understandable to us. So we will simply read what Jesus really said and explain them. Our Father, it is our deep yearning to just focus our eyes on the Lord Jesus and yet all around us this deception just flies around like a wicked snowstorm and so we do have to be careful we do have to be mindful and and for that reason Lord we have to on occasion stand against falsehood and for truth but we believe it would be your will for us to do this but oh how we're looking forward to John 10 and 11 to hear the sermons of Christ on him as the gatekeeper and as the the good shepherd and to see him do what only you can do and that is to call the dead to life. How we're looking forward to that. How we're looking forward to hearing the actual voice of Christ and seeing him come come to life, so to speak, off the pages of scripture. And we're so thankful to you for that. And Lord, as we now humbly approach the Lord's table, as we come to remember Christ, to remember his death, to remember his sacrifice, we would ask you to clear and cleanse our hearts. We would pray to come to the table willingly, to come to the table humbly, holding no bitterness or resentment or lack of love against any fellow believer. We would come to the table understanding that because you have forgiven us, we are duty-bound to forgive others. We come to the table knowing that this is something commanded by Jesus himself to remember his body, to remember his blood. It is, in many ways, the pinnacle act of worship. It is what we aim for. It is our response to the gospel. Be with us now in these final moments, Lord, as we remember Christ, as we remember his death and remember his resurrection. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.